0: You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. The Bible says, And having made peace through the blood of His cross, by Him to reconcile all things unto Himself, by Him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. Now, what we've been looking at for the last couple of weeks leading up to this is how uh, verses Colossians 15 through 17 were emphasizing which particular attribute of the Lord Jesus Christ. Anybody remember? I know we looked at a bunch of attributes, but they all go back to one major attribute. In other words, for him to be able to be the creator and sustainer. And so what aspect of Christ were we looking at? The preeminence, that's exactly right. The preeminence is is important because that's the the main punch here. Uh, And it's the deity, the deity of Christ, that Jesus Christ is the exact representation of the Father. And so uh, verse 15, the Bible lets us know that the person of God is revealed in Christ. What did Jesus say? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So Jesus is God in focus. Uh, The person of God is revealed in Christ the power of God is revealed in Christ He's the creator he's the one who holds all things together so the power of God that's verses 16 and through 17 and then we looked at the purposes of God revealed in Christ the purposes of God revealed in Christ and we begin to look at uh, that Jesus is preeminent because of his creation but he's also preeminent because of his church uh, the great work of the church and and if creation wasn't amazing enough, and it is, I, I enjoy studying. I enjoy studying a, a, about the cosmos. I enjoy studying about the expanding universe. Matter of fact, you think about creation. I like studying about the universe and learning things about the universe. I like learning things about our earth. I enjoy learning things about macrobiology. I enjoy learning things about microbiology. Uh, and the, the cool thing is, is it all points to a creator. It all points to a designer. So it's so exciting when you look at these things, but uh, but 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 Christ in creation. But so we were looking at the, emphasizing the deity of Christ. But tonight we're going to start by emphasizing the death of Christ, verses twenty through twenty-two, and the verses before us are going to be emphasizing rec- <coughs> reconciliation, reconciliation, and. Uh, So we're not going to get a ton into that because we're going to give an illustration of reconciliation in just a moment, a familiar illustration for many of you. But let's read once again uh, Colossians 1, verses 20 through 22. 20 through 22. uh, And having made peace through the blood of His cross by Him to reconcile all things unto Himself, by Him, I say, whether it be things in earth or things in heaven, and you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind, By wicked works, yet now hath He reconciled in the body of His flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in His sight. And so making peace through the blood of His cross. Now consider the contrast before us tonight. We went from the heights of exaltation of God the Son as the creator and sustainer, that the self-existent eternal God. Now we're going to go to the depths of the Son of God. Folks, the plan, program, and purpose from the vast reaches of our ever-expanding universe to this humble planet all finds at its center the person of Jesus Christ modern historians may, may want to remove him from the one who divides time, you know, as far as before Christ and in the year of our Lord with A.D. They, they, they have dismissed those uh, arbitrarily. But folks, I'm telling you, he is still the center of it all. And if you're missing Christ, you are missing everything. And so going from the deity of Christ to the death of Christ. I mean, just get your mind around that for a moment. Consider the way Jesus died. And uh, I just uh, put a, thought about a slide and imagining those nails being driven through his hands and his feet, all that led up to that. But considering the death of the God-man. Uh, John Phillips said this. I thought it was good. He said, The spotlight swings from the dizziest heights to the utmost depths, from, from light unapproachable to night unbelievable. And from the thunderous applause of the heavenly host to the bitter blasphemies of murderous men. In a single sentence, down we come from the realm where Christ is crowned with glory and honor to the place where he was crucified in weakness and shame." We we hurried unceremoniously to Calvary to see men nailing their maker to a tree. And wonder of wonders. Now, here's the thing so imagine the contrast there. We're talking about the great, merciful, loving God of heaven, the mighty God. He is the one who came down because He loved man that He might save man. And what happened? They took Him and with wicked hands and wicked hearts, they crucified Him. And we don't really point fingers that much, do we? I I think oftentimes, and I I've I've never seen the movie *The Passion of the Christ*, but I uh, still—and I don't endorse uh, Mel Gibson's uh, beliefs for the most part—but I thought he said something and did something really good in that film. And that in the scene to where the nail was being driven into Christ's hand, uh, that—that was his cameo in the movie. That was his hand nailing uh, Christ to the cross. Because what he was just trying to signify is it's all of us. He said, I nailed Jesus to the cross. You nailed Jesus to the cross. It was all of our sins. So the the, the God of heaven, the crown glorious creator being blasphemed on this earth, spat upon, beard being ripped out. You ever been rejected? Jesus was despised and rejected. And that was the Lord of glory that was being crucified. Now... Then think about what it's saying here. Verse 20 again. And having made peace through the blood of his cross. Having made peace through the blood of his cross. I mean, can you just uh, think about that for a moment? After what man did to him, and we know that it was a part of his plan, and we know that it was the only way that you and I could be saved. But instead of God declaring war, instead of God sending chariots of wrath to visit swift and summary vengeance on this world, instead, He brings reconciliation, peace through the blood of His cross. Instead of opening up hell to receive the guilty, daring sinners, the heirs of the fall, God opens up heaven. Ain't that good? I mean, man, you talk about reconciliation, it, it, it blows your mind. And so the, the first point is the means of our uh, reconciliation. And that's, that's our point out of Colossians, the means of reconciliation. If, if you remember verses 20 through 22, the thing you'll see is that, that man needs to be reconciled to God. And it talks about how the, in verse number 21, how that, it talks about man being enemies in their minds by wicked works. But now have we been reconciled? Because the Bible never says that God needs to be reconciled to man. God does not need to be reconciled to man because God has always had His arms open and His hands outstretched toward a lost and a dying world. God has never gone anywhere. The hostility has always been on the part of man, not on the part of God. So therefore, God does not need to be reconciled. Man needs to be reconciled. But the only way man can be reconciled and we can be put back in a right relationship with God is through the blood of his Son. And so... With that in mind, let's go to Luke number 15 as we think about this this great illustration in real life of the prodigal son. We think about the prodigal son. Because what we're going to see is a father that, that did not need reconciliation. He did not need to be reconciled, but his son needed to be reconciled to him. And in Luke 15, we're going to get a great picture of the grace and mercy and the willingness to forgive of the father. So if you'll turn with me to Luke 15, we're going to take a journey to, uh, to the peaceful Judean countryside, to an expansive and well-kept country estate with golden grain as far as the eye can see. To the east, there's huge fields uh, of, uh, of grain. To the west, there's grazing cattle. Uh, we enter into a dramatic and shameful scene in Luke 15, verses, uh, beginning in verse number 11. Notice what the Bible says. It says in Luke 15:11, and he said, "...a certain man had two sons." And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. So what we see here is the man that's known as the prodigal son. The the prodigal means wasteful. It means squandering. The prodigal son. The prodigal son selfishly and blatantly takes the portion of his inheritance and turns his back on the father. I mean, if you can just imagine, he's saying, give me my inheritance, which from what I've read about this, it's a way of saying, basically, I wished you were dead. I'd rather have money. I want my money now. I want my inheritance now. And so he disrespects his father. And can you imagine this young man? I can imagine as he's beginning to leave, he had a brother. And I can imagine as he's getting ready to leave that he gives his brother maybe a little wink and a smile because he's thinking, man, I'm about to be free. I'm about to get out from under the old man's uh, thumb. I'm about to get away from all the restrictions of this, this home, this religious home that we live in. Luke 15, verse number uh, uh, 13, the Bible says, "...and not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living." So, cheerfully, no doubt cheerfully, he arrives in the far country of Vanity Fair. What reminds me of there in Pilgrim's Progress, Christian arriving in Vanity Fair... With a wide grin, the young prodigal congratulates himself. His well-lined purse soon opened every door. He found friends everywhere willing to help him spend his money. When this young man arrived to town, to South Beach, he was excited. And people people welcomed him in. He was the new kid. He had money. Things were looking really good for him, he thought. And so they were there, we'll help you spend your money. And he thinks to himself, so this is what the father had been keeping me from all these years? With the scriptural lessons, They sat when they sat in the house and when they walked by the way, the old man was uh, teaching him the word of God and telling him, this was the life, this is the way you want to live, and, and he was keeping me from this? He was keeping me from the party. He was keeping me from all this fun. Man, this place is a blast. When he gets to the far country, man, it is on. I mean, it is fun. It is happening. The far country, man, I mean, they're clubbing there. I mean, seriously, it's like awesome, he thinks. No more synagogue. No more rules just right. uh, No more endless chores. This is the life. And so what this young man does is he takes his father's inheritance inheritance money from his father, travels to this far country, and there he begins to party. He begins to live it up. He begins to blow his money. I mean, the life with, with drunken parties and the loose women. He's thinking to himself, man, who says there's no pleasure in sin? I mean, look at it. I mean, there's pleasure in sin. This is awesome. It's a blast. But the prodigal failed to consider the price. He did not realize that it was going to cost him more than just his inheritance money. He did not realize the price. There is pleasure in sin. The Bible says so. The Bible does not deny that there's pleasure in sin. But there's a caveat, isn't there? There's a qualifier. The Bible says there's pleasure in sin for a season, for a season. That just means it's temporary. It does not last very long. He failed to realize, see, the price is always higher than you want to pay, There's a great old song that said sin will cost you far more than you want to pay. Sin will keep you longer than you want to stay. Sin will wreck your life. Ultimately, it cost him everything. Notice what the Bible says now there in verse number 14. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. He began to be in want. I mean, he was in the land and just as sure as you live, like happens to everybody else, you go out into sin and it's fun for a while, but ultimately it runs out. And and he spent all. There arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. I was thinking about this. Hopefully this began to go through that young man's mind, but it didn't yet. It's time to come home. But you know, I think about this. I I was thinking about this just this week, I think last week a little bit too. Our years as toddlers reveal something about our stubborn and rebellious nature even to this day. Now think about it with me for a moment. As a toddler, now we're picking on toddlers here, but what you're going to find out is you may find that there's some uh, comparisons that you can make between you and a toddler. All right? Toddlers reveal something about uh, about us. A toddler wants his or her way above all. That's all they can think about is what they want, what they demand. That's what a toddler thinks, what they want, including, and not uh, limited to these, but including things like touching the stove, touching the oven. They want to do that. Toddlers, they might want to grab the cord of a hot iron, all right? Uh, They want that more than anything, and when they get focused on that, they can't think of anything else that they want. I mean, you think about not only that. They, listen, they will put things in their mouth that would choke them and kill them. Toddlers will put poison in their mouth that will poison themselves and kill them. And what happens when you try to take it out of their hand? Oh, it's the end of the world. I mean, boy, they throw a fit, they pitch a fit, and they're screaming and they're kicking and they're carrying on. And by the way, that's about the time, mom and dad, when uh, you discipline them. Amen. That's about the time where you pop that hand, where you do something to get their attention to say, no, that's not going to be the way it is. Uh, man, there's a reason why a lot of kids don't grow up. To, they, the, a lot of kids don't grow up to respect anyone because they're never taught to respect their parents in the home. Uh, And the Bible has a lot to say about that. But I'm I'm giving more of the illustration about this. They'll put poison in their mouth. They'll run toward a dangerous dog. I thought about, I always think about this illustration. And I know, I think about Evan oftentimes. And Natalie, uh, I don't think she has, I don't know if she's ever seen an animal of any sort and thought it was anything but cute. Snakes, spiders, you name it. All right? Vicious dogs. We had, uh, we had two uh, houses down from us, or two trailers down, so it was uh, really close. Uh, but there was these people with these German shepherds. I don't want to say they were vicious, but man, they were always at the end of their chains. They were always barking. They didn't seem very friendly, I'll tell you that. So we were letting Evan and Natalie. Natalie was just a toddler. Evan was just a little bit older than that. They were just playing on our little front porch. Well, guess what Natalie sees? A puppy. A puppy at the end of its huge chain. Yes? With its ears pinned back and rah-rah rah-rah. Ooh. What does she want to do? She wants to go pet the thing. No kidding. So here goes little Natalie off to pet this dog. And Evan is, is, is trying his best to pull her back, and she's trying her best to drag him over to puppy, puppy. She's not always been the smartest kid. But But Evan, uh, Evan is, Mom, Dad, and he's hollering for us. And we're coming out like, what's going on? And here he is just trying to hold her back from going and getting the puppy. Uh, And uh, why? Because she is a toddler and she didn't know anybody. And I'm sure she thought, what what kind of jerk is my brother? Just let me go pet the puppy. What's he doing? You know, that's how toddlers are. Uh, Listen, but what's behind, they think to themselves, this is not fair. But I ask you the question tonight, what is behind all of these rules? What's behind these, uh, these rules that are imposed and insisted on by mom and dad? I mean, we understand it now, don't we? It's not that hard for us. We do not generally judge a mom or a dad whenever that kid's about to stick something in its mouth that don't go there. They get that out of your head. Don't put that in your mouth. Are you crazy? Oh, they're so mean. No, what's behind those rules? Yeah, their wellness. I mean, I'm asking. The the, the child's wellness, what's behind those rules? Love. Love's behind those rules. Love's behind those restraints. What else is behind those rules? Protection? How about wisdom? Does the parents know something that that toddler doesn't know? Maybe there's a reason the parent And toddlers don't have the ability to think this through. Hey, maybe there's a reason mom and dad don't want me to have this or to do this or to touch this or what. They don't do that. All they know is they want it. And here's the thing where I say we're a lot like toddlers still to this day. It worked on Eve and she was not a toddler. See, you're not going to die when you eat that fruit, Eve. God knows that in the day you eat of it, you're going to be like a God. And what he is saying is, God's trying to keep something from you. He's trying to keep something good from you. He's trying to keep you from something good. And ever since then, that's what he tells us. Now we could preach, this is a great message for the young people, but it's the same for us. What about the restrictions? Why does God have the rules, the moral law that he has in his Bible? You know what's behind it all? Love. He sees what we don't see. See, if we're not careful, we listen to a bunch of music, watch a bunch of garbage out of Hollywood that is trying to teach us. I mean, I, I can't remember uh, the, the numbers, but the, 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 the amount of uh, drinking and drugging and the, 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 the amount of premarital sex or people that just, in general, uh, cheating and sleeping around and these things, and we watch that stuff and see, you know what, and it's fun. That's, that's, that must be normal, and it looks good, and it looks healthy. Then you come to church, or your mom and dad, or whatever, whatever age you may be, says, hey, the Bible says this is a sin. The Bible says, get that out of your mouth. <laughs> not fair, not fair, not fair. That's exactly what we do. What's God doing to me? What's God keeping from me? He loves you. Dummy. He's wiser than you. He knows what that, there, you listen to me very closely. Young people, old people alike, sorry, not that there's anybody old over here, young and older, all right, uh, listen, what I'm trying to tell you, some of y'all wish y'all to sit over here tonight, because Ron and Connie are young tonight, amen, Uh, they're young every night, but, but no, what I'm just trying to say just is simply this. There's, there's not one, there is, you listen to me, not one thing that God tells us not to do. There's not one thing that God tells us to do, not one, that is not for our good. Not one, not one. God is not just being fuddy-duddy. The kids use those words today, I think that was in the 50s. Uh, God is not just being square. That's, that's the new hip thing to say, isn't it? God is not just being uncool. God is not just, you know, not knowing how it is here in the 21st century. Is it the 21st century? That'll blow your mind. But folks, there's not one thing that God is re- trying to get you to refrain from or trying to get you to do that is bad or unhealthy for you. We are like toddlers. It's, it, behind these rules is absolute love, absolute wisdom. And I think, too, I was thinking about kids playing in the street. We could go on and on. Now, let's get back to the prodigal son. Like grains of sand running swiftly through an hourglass, this boy saw his money melt away. The day came that his last shekel was gone And so were his exciting new friends. His money was gone. His quote-unquote friends were gone. All gone. And the Bible says, notice Luke 15, verse 15 now. The Bible says, And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine." He sent him into his fields to feed swine. Now, this boy had sunk to the lowest depths, wallowing in a disgusting pig pen. Have any of you ever gone past a hog farm? I mean, you live in Iowa, you live in South Dakota, (laughs) I know you have. Son, there's not much that smells much worse than that, is there? You're about to pass some chicken houses and it's close, or turkey houses, But I'm telling you, bottom line, it's nasty. And not to mention the fact that these are unclean animals that uh, the the Jews were not to uh, eat and so forth, much less be out there feeding. He went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, verse 15. And he went into his fields to feed his swine. And notice verse 16, the Bible says, And he would fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat and no man gave unto him. So hunger drove him to feed the swine. He sunk to the lowest depths. This is what the far country really is. Now again, what we have here is another principle of sin. Another principle in sin. And here it is. What the devil always does is he gives you his best up front. You know, we went back to the my, my pictures of the party and the lights and the excitement and the fun. All that's what the devil gives you up front. But what he don't show you is what's on the other side. The pig pens on the other side. Loneliness, brokenness is on the other side. That's what's on the other side. The devil always will give you his best up front. You know, you've heard me say it before, but I just think it's a great principle to understand that the devil has no happy old people. You say, what? The significance of that is this. See, what happens is the devil gives you his best up front, then it's all downhill from there, and oftentimes it's downhill from there very fast. The more you try to recapture the initial thrill of the far country, the deeper you sink and the more you stink. And you'll never recapture it. And you have people, me and Evan were just having this conversation the other day. We were talking about, uh, you know, how people get started uh, you know smoking and, and you know and, and I, I'm, I'm not proud of uh, the, the the path some of the paths that I took as a kid but I just said man a lot of times it's that you're trying to maybe kind of trying to be an adult trying to be cool trying to fit in uh, whatever and I said it kind of starts there and then you start talking about drinking and I said but eventually and it starts off kind of exciting kind of fun the and You know, for me, uh, you know, I don't know if this is a real thing or not, but if it is a real thing, I've got an addictive personality, if that is a real thing. Uh, And then you just fall further and further. And what you do is you're trying more and more, but the more you try to do, the further you sink. And uh, that's what happened to this boy. But then he comes to himself. Notice verse number 17. The Bible says, and when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? He starts thinking about dad. He starts remembering his life and the lessons that he had learned as a kid. He recalls the lowest of his father's servants and how every one of them were living better than he was living. That's what he begins to recall, thinking about those servants, the hired servants. However, returning home meant confessing his sin and looking a loving father, a wounded father, in the eyes and perhaps just going back home as a servant. The humiliation of that. But he thinks to himself, it's worth it. The Bible. I love what the Bible says there. It says, and when he came to himself, verse 17 i mean you think about that have you ever come to yourself have you ever come and just stopped a minute and looked at where you were and you said what are you doing here what are you doing he came to himself and he said to himself man think about how good the 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 lowest servant the newest servant has it better than me in my father's house So what did he do? He started thinking, and he started thinking, I'm repentant. I may have to humble myself, but it's going to be worth it. So what did he do? He dropped the pail. He jumped the rail, and he hit the trail, praise God. He said, I'm going home. I'm going home. I'm heading to the father's house. And folks, on the long journey, he played over and over again, no doubt, how things may go and what he would say. He finally thought and come up with these words, and I'm sure he rehearsed them over and over again as he came closer. Look at verses 18 and 19. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before thee am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. Now think about this. His going away prayer was, Father, give me. His coming home prayer was, Father, make me. Make me. See, he had a repentant heart. And by the way, something I didn't tell you about, under the law, this boy could have been uh, punished with a capital punishment. He could have been killed for his rebellion and for his disrespect. That's what justice called for. But aren't you glad that sometimes when justice calls, mercy answers? Amen. And that's what happened with this boy. Oh, man, as he drew closer, he must have begun to wonder if, if this was a bad idea. What are all the servants going to say? What about his friends back at the synagogue? What are they going to say? What about his older brother? But before he could begin to reconsider, he remembered his father's love and faithfulness. And on he went until he, he could begin to see all the familiar sights of his boyhood and I want to say, thank God. Aren't you glad that if you've ever been a prodigal, and I believe many of us have from to one extent or the other, I'm glad because everybody has that battle, do they not? I remember there was a brief period that I got out of church as a young person. I, I started, I took a job working on Sundays. It was a really important job. So, I mean, you've got to understand I was washing dishes at the country club. So, you know, man, And I was making like four or five bucks an hour, so that's definitely more important than church. I'm speaking as a fool because it just started off with me having to miss, I think, one service a week. Well, I can handle that. Pretty soon I started missing two services a week. Pretty soon I didn't want to go back to the third service in that week because I felt weird. And I knew I wasn't doing right. I got an embarrassing story. Believe it or not, uh, Melanie's leaving, uh, it involves her, so you he might want to stay. No, it doesn't. You know, I never got my ears pierced before I got saved. I got my ears pierced after I got saved. You say, which ear? I got, I don't even know if that's a thing anymore, but it was, a, it was, it was becoming less of a thing when I was a kid, you know, uh, you got your left ears pierced, you know, and then you got your right ear pierced, that meant something else, uh, and, uh, but I got I got two studs and I got two studs in my left ear. And uh, and I'm not saying a whole lot about that. But what that did is that just represented that was the place where I was at, and for me that was a sign of rebellion. It was a sign it was a sign of, of worldliness of what I, the, the way I was trying to go and uh, and and so forth. But here's the thing, some reason I, I I I finally decided I was going to go back to church. Oh, I remember what it was. My friend was a rebel. And I was trying to be a rebel, but I really think the difference between me and my friend is I was saved and he wasn't. See, he got his ears pierced too, both of them, because it was becoming like a thing then. And he was excited about going back to church to flaunt it to everybody, you know, in the church. And he's like, come on, man, we're going back Sunday night. We're going, you know, and, and, and so we, we get ready, and I'm like, man, I can't go in there with these earrings in my ear. And you know what I did before I went in? I went over, uh, I, I went over out beside the building, and I ripped these studs out that had been in there for just a couple of days. Blood just went everywhere. My ears were swolled up, I mean, uh, like you wouldn't believe, and bloody, and I got blood all over my shirt, and I went into the church, and I looked more like a fool than I would have had left them in. Uh, but, but the point is, uh, <laughs> I'm not sure what the point is. Um, <laughs> the point is that one of the things you can really struggle with is I don't want to go back to church. Because let me tell you something, praise God we're in a church that will not guilt you for the things you've done wrong. We will help you because we're all just a bunch of sinners saved by grace. Thank God, thank you church for being that kind of church. But guess what? Guess how you're going to feel regardless if you've sinned got away from God come back to church. You want to know? How are you going to feel? Guilty. Are we going to make you feel guilty? No, but you're going to feel guilty. And as soon as little Miss Barbara King came up to me and said, Oh, Jesse, so good to see you. We've been missing you. That's the most offensive statement ever, isn't it? It's not. She's a sweet little old lady that had been missing me. But I'm like, oh. You know, trying to make me feel bad, huh? No, she wasn't trying to make me feel bad. I felt bad. and uh, But you know what? There, there's a lot of people, unfortunately, that don't get past that. I'm glad by God's grace I got past it. I'm glad I got back in church. I'm telling you, I don't know where, I'd hate to think where I'd be. I'm telling you, I'd hate to think where I'd be today. But by the grace of God, I got back in church. I got things right with the Lord uh, and so forth. But that had to be going through this boy's mind. What are the servants going to say? Are they going to sneer at me, especially if I have to go out there and work as a servant? He was prepared for that. He knew how his brother was. He knew how how much of a Pharisee his brother was. So he knew what that was going to be like. But he got to thinking... My brother ain't the one that loves me like that. The servants aren't. There's somebody, And that's what I get to thinking. You know what? People leave church, people get out of church, and it's always this person, that person, whatever else, whatever other excuse. But I'm telling you, it wasn't a person that got me in church, really. It might have been a person that got me to come. But Jesus put, the ch- he, Jesus put the church in my heart, and he put me in church. And yes, the church is made up of a bunch of imperfect people. Thank God, or else I wouldn't fit in. Uh, but that's what happened. He thought about the father, so he came home. He came home, and he rehearsed, and he thought to himself, now think about this as he comes and he sees this home. He begins to go up those roads that he'd run up and down many times as a boy. He begins to come up, and he sees the fence line of the family property, He recognized those hills. He recognized those buildings. It all began to become so familiar. And folks, when he left, that was the worst place ever. But I'm telling you, up to this point in his life, he had never seen anything so beautiful as the old home place. As he comes home, he begins to rehearse his speech one last time. But he's startled to see a figure running toward him a sight that he had never seen before. It was his dear old dad in a dead sprint. It was dear old dad, the old man, running. You say, why has he never seen that before? Folks, it was customarily, it was a custom in this culture that that, that old men did not run. No respectable man would run. It was uncouth. It wasn't something that you would do. But old dad wasn't worried about all that. Here's the boy going through all this in his mind, and he looked up, and all of a sudden, here comes some old man running at him. And it was his daddy, amen? Oh, my friend, listen. The Bible says, but when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Amen. I mean, just getting down the road, he goes after him. Oh, man, his father saw him, the Bible says. The Bible says that when his father saw him. You know what I believe that says? I believe that means the father was looking for him. I believe that means the father was looking for him. He saw him. Not one day passed that his father wasn't looking in the direction from which he left. Oh, my friend, you just think about it. I mean, day after day, uh, he would uh, go hoping against hope and praying that this would be the day, hoping that it wouldn't be a messenger telling about his death. Oh, man, just think about that. I might get excited as I'm imagining this (laughs) because God is, this is trying to, Jesus is trying to show us a picture of God the Father. The reconciliation of Colossians chapter number 1. That's the picture he's trying to relate to us right here. I mean, a God with arms wide open. A, man, a, a race of people that have turned their back on God. But the moment, my friend, they say, that's why people say, man, I came to God. Well, it didn't look like it. Amen. He works in our hearts. He gets us to come toward Him. But He's the one that's moving toward us. The Father was looking. The father didn't give up. Oh, my friend. Uh, and, and, and man, uh, together. And then what did they do? They rejoiced. Notice what the Bible says. Is we, you continue on there in verse number 21. The Bible says, And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring hither the fatted calf, and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. Man, they partied, they rejoiced, and I'm telling you, listen, there may not have been a one drop of alcohol at this party, and I guarantee you there was no loose women, and there was no mm, 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 music beating in the background, and strobe lights going, but you know what there was? This was the best party this boy had ever been a part of, Amen. I mean, true, true joy that's going to last. Amen. I mean, having a good old time there in the house. And I'm telling you, there is nothing like being in the house of God and being with the people of God. Listen, maybe you've turned your back on God. And listen to this now. Maybe you haven't left, but you are leaning. You haven't left, but you're leaning. See, before this boy ever physically left, he had mentally left. His heart went to the far country months before he actually went to the far country. You listen up now. We need to check ourselves. Are you resenting the rules of the Father? Again, great message for young people, but it applies to us as well. Are you resenting the rules of the Father? Are you listening to the enemy? That enemy, he's disguised as your friend, but he's the enemy. If he's telling you things that are contrary to the word of God, if he's putting question marks where God puts periods, he's the enemy. He's just disguised as a friend. Are you entertaining his suggestions? You know what we call that, don't you? That's just simply called temptation, and we all face it. But what we've got to do is we've got to do like the great theologian Barney Fife said one time, nip it, nip it, nip it, nip it in the bud. I mean, cut it off right now. I'm not entertaining this thought. I'm not going to keep going down this road. I'm not going to allow myself day after day after day to entertain these thoughts of rebellion and what it would be to live and to go my own way. I'm stopping it. I'm cutting it right now. Oh, my friend, listen. Uh, We are all, we are all susceptible. I beg you tonight, I beg you tonight to get your mind right. Get your heart right. You listen to me carefully. I'm almost done. You will not. And listen, as I'm speaking, you may not be able to hear it, but I'm putting caps lock on. You ready? Ready? Caps lock, will not. You will not be the exception. You will not be the exception. The devil tells you you'll be the exception. You will not be the exception. There are not exceptions. Listen, sin will, the Bible says, be sure your sin will find you out. That's Bob and Evelyn. One day, Bob and Evan's riding down the road, and uh, as, as, as they had for years, Bob drove and Evelyn sat shotgun. Pretty soon, there was a young couple that slowly passed them, and Evan noticed how closely this young couple sat together in that car of theirs, reminiscing, she said, Bob. Do you remember when we were courting? Bob says, yep, I sure do. Do you remember you used to hold my hand and that we would sit so close and you would have one arm around me and and one arm on the wheel? Yep, I remember, says Bob. And then she says this, why don't we sit like that anymore? Why don't we sit like that anymore? Bob answer returned simply this. I haven't moved. I haven't moved. I'm still in the same seat I've been in. You're the one that got on that side. Folks, you listen to me closely. Reconciliation is the, is the topic. God has not moved. The Bible says we've turned everyone to his own way. The father never, in our, in, in our story tonight, never stopped loving his son. At the very first sign of repentance, the, the very sight of that tattered, faltering figure on a distant hill, the father was off. As fast as his old legs would carry him, as fast as his pounding heart would permit, he was off to meet his boy. He ran with his robes flying behind and his arms outstretched before him. He was going to bring his son home. Rags, ruin, the stench of a hog pen, all of it. He was bringing his son home. And I'm telling you, that's the great thing to know. If you've gotten away from God, it's you that's gotten away from God, not God that's gotten away from you. But if that's the case, don't you get the idea that God's turned His back on you? How many of you know it can feel like God's turned His back on you? But He's not. He's still looking. And I'm telling you, the Bible says if you draw an eye to God, He'll draw an eye to you. You start walking His way, He's going to run your way with His arms open. Amen? Oh, my friend, check yourself if you're thinking of going that route. James 4 8 again, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. I'm going to ask you this question tonight as we all stand. How many of you would be willing to take a step toward God tonight?